podcast intent for information on educational purposes only, not for the purpose of rendering medical advice. As always, information should be pulled from multiple credible sources. Cross reference wormlet your almost accurate hypothesis. Evans can support always seek the advice of a physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any question regarding a medical condition. <gasps> this is the actual PT podcast, where actual problems meet actual evidence, producing actual results. And your hosts, Troy Lind and Taylor Flocken. Top of the morning actual PT Nation. Actually, top of the afternoon, Troy <laughs> and actual PT Nation. You don't look at the clocks. Do I you? don't look at the clock <laughs> I don't use clocks. Don't believe in them, Chuck. You don't believe what? <laughs> and here we are talking to you about vascular insufficiencies. That's uh, two really big words put together, Chuck. Those are bigger words than I know how to pronounce, Chuck. So here we are, what we're talking about. This covers two <laughs> main insufficiencies. We're talking arterial insufficiency, and we're talking venous insufficiency. Words I can't pronounce. Venus. You're talking about the uh, second planet from the... Uh, <laughs> and I'm not talking about Uranus, Chuck. <laughs> we're in a weird mood. <laughs> um, yeah, and we're going to start with uh, arterial insufficiency. I say we start with arterial insufficiency. Because Tyler. it starts with the letter A. Yeah, yeah. and that's how yeah. the alphabet works. Yeah, yeah. Um, so arterial insufficiency. What is so artery, uh, that's the part of the blood vessels that uh, delivers blood from the heart to all over your body. Oxygen-rich blood. Oxygen rich blood, correct. Um, and so if it's insufficient, it means that it's not doing it very well. So you have less of it. Correct. Huh. Primarily, this if this is going to affect somebody, this is going to affect them in their legs. Uh, more specifically, mm. feet, and very rarely does it ever go above the knee. Correct, Amundo. Yep. Um, essentially, the arteries, uh, they, they just become less good at their job. Um, fewer capillary beds. The legs, therefore, have less nutrition. And, yeah, um, some of the risk factors for this. Um, arteriosclerosis and atherosclerosis. I like to pronounce it atherosclerosis, but, you know, tomatoes, tomatoes, potatoes, potatoes. Potatoes, potatoes. <laughs> Science. Uh, <laughs> uh no, we have more risk factors. <laughs> <laughs> Smoking. There's <laughs> diabetes. Diabetes. Uh, hyperlipidemia and hypertension. Yes. So it sounds to me like uh, basically if you're having this occur, usually there's a whole gamut of reasons that basically led you here. And there's a whole gamut of other things you're uh, also dealing with. Yeah, ninety percent time. Yeah, yeah, because because this isn't this is not going to be uh, your first thing. It's just going to be like a new thing on a whole list of other problems. And this typically. is usually not happening to young, fit twenty, thirty year olds either. <laughs> no, no, no. This is uh, this is a person who's lived a, a very much a rock and roll lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So some of the signs and symptoms: uh, intermittent claudication. Uh, what is that? Very simply, that is pain with walking. Uh, your ow. legs, yeah, ow, ow. Your legs literally are not getting enough blood. The muscles are not getting enough blood. The nerves aren't getting enough blood. This causes uh, pain um, because the tissue is saying, look, if you don't stop, man, we're, 
we were we're gonna die down here. That yeah, that's what that's what the tissue is literally saying. becoming ischemic. Mm-hmm. If it's severe enough, of course. Wait, what'd you call me? <laughs> ischemic. Ischemic. Yeah. Um, ischemia. Uh, that's just the medical term for just cutting off blood supply to something, and that's actually another sign and symptom: resting ischemic pain. Meaning you can just be resting, and you can be having pain in your legs, especially if they're in a dependent position. Meaning like. If you're just sitting in a, in a chair with your feet touching the ground, um, you do that for long enough, yeah, that can actually become painful for these people. Yeah, which is pretty drastic to think about that. Just sitting there, you're not having enough blood flow to a muscle to cause pain. That's, I mean, that is when it's severe, but I mean, it's very common. That's yeah. usually when people get to the point where they actually do something about it and see a doctor, sadly enough. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times people are just like, oh, it's just starting to walk, so I'm just going to not walk. Yeah, my, my yeah. Uh, grandmother has that has uh kind of early that's like the earliest stage that's like the beginning Mm -hmm. factor or sign and symptom that we kind of point to clinically she has that and she says well i know i need to walk more but uh i just get my car now to drive to get the mail down at the end of the street oh that's (laughs) yeah uh there's there's always workarounds aren't there yes yeah um Another uh, another little thing here is a little uh, side piece. Um, if it becomes um, acute, um, and this is a typically a, like more of a medical emergency where there's so little, um, there's uh, six P's that we're going to go through. Uh, and I'm going to try to read them off really fast. Uh, pain, pallor, paresthesia, pulselessness, parala- paralysis, <laughs> and poikilothermia. 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 Um, that's the inability to regulate uh, body temperature. Hmm, interesting. Um, that's a big word. The other one, pain, that's when stuff hurts. No, I didn't dumb. think you knew that one. I don't know what that is. Yeah. I don't feel pain. Yeah. Pallor, uh, that is just changes in, uh, I guess, like the color of the skin. So yeah. typically, this is in this case, it's going to mean like white. Yeah, uh, like paleness. Pa- pale, yeah. yeah. Um, paresthesia, this is going to be your uh, tingles, things, uh, things of that the nature. Tingles. Numbness. Taylor yes, Taylor tingles, numbness. Uh, pulselessness, uh, the major arteries aren't going to have a pulse. Yeah. Um, paralysis, uh, can't move because either the nerves aren't getting enough blood flow to get to conduct the signal or the muscles don't have enough blood flow to actually work. And, uh, yeah, we already said poikilothermia. That, that's, that's such a weird one. I can't believe it was a paralysis that got me. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't see that one happening. Yeah. Um, so what does this look like? What do these people actually look like? Well, the limb that it is being most affected, and sometimes it can be a little asymmetric. One limb yeah. can be affected more so than the other. Um, usually, though, you're going to, if you have one, you're going to be dealing with the other at some point. Most times. Um, that limb, though, is going to have uh, less hair. The body literally is not getting enough nutrition to uh, be able to keep up with that. Yeah. It's going to be. Lack of blood flow, you're done. Yeah. Um, the skin, it's going to be smooth, but not in a good way. It's going to be shiny thin and it may even be cool because yeah the blood no problem (laughs) exactly um also there's going to be little to no uh swelling which is kind of interesting and that's kind of like a far cry from what you're going to be talking about it's a good thing to note for uh what we're going to be talking about later oh yeah uh and i as i said earlier it's rarely ever above the knee this is normally just like down you know the that lower part of the leg, foot, toes, primarily the lateral foot because a lot of, or the outer part of our foot or leg, because that's kind of where the, you know, the major part of the arteries go through and then they come back up more of the inner side. Uh, and then also, oh, it says anterior leg too, hmm. which I guess front, man. Yeah. Um, and if, 
a person uh, who has arterial insufficiency starts getting wounds because of this. Which is common. Which is common, yes. In severe cases. Yep. Um, The wounds themselves, they have kind of a punched out look like... um, uh, as you said earlier, a hole puncher. Hole puncher is a good explanation. Yeah, um, it's it's just gone. And it's um, perfectly round. There are very well defined borders. Yeah, and there's almost a very there's very little drainage. Like it's it's just kind of a dry, missing circle of skin. Yeah, literally yeah. What it looks like it's a good way of explaining it, uh, explaining it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us about the second planet uh, from the sun. <laughs> yeah. So so uh, that's arterial venous insufficiency. This is the loss of the ability of the blood to flow to the heart. So basically, hmm. when ta- what Taylor's talking about is you're just not getting blood flow to the leg. Mm-hmm. This is the opposite. You have too much blood in the leg because for whatever reason, the valves or the vessels, whatever it is, the veins, they're almost leaking because they have too much blood in them. There's blood that's pooling in the lower leg and it just can't get out for whatever reason. So... Risk factors that may lead you to this venous insufficiency. I just realized this today, but women are three times higher risk than men to getting this. And I'm not 100% sure why. I have an idea, maybe because I'll I'll talk about later about what uh, the jobs that uh, people are working usually can lead you susceptible to this. But I don't know anything else other than that, uh, anatomically speaking. I mean, the only other thing I could think of would be uh, differences in hormones, um, especially oh, like, like later in life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, with uh, menopause happening and everything. Um, I mean, that's the only thing I could really think of that would make women more susceptible yeah. off yeah. the top of my head, at least. Yeah, same. Well, moving forward, um, there is a congenital factor to it or component to it. Mm. So some people are born with an absence of valves in the venous system. Um, which means basically when your blood is pumping through the venous system, there's valves to make sure it doesn't go backwards. Uh, think of it as like a system of channels where it goes one way and then it stops it. And then it goes one way and it stops mm-hmm. it. Um, that way there's no backflow. So, uh, so gravity can't pull it to the I, bottom. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, so yeah, the system can actually overcome gravity. It has to have a little bit of a gate. And it also relies a lot on like the muscles kind of helping to pump that Yeah, up. the muscle pump. Yep. And we'll get there mm-hmm. soon. Um, oh, cool. There is a syndrome. I am going to butcher the I am looking <laughs> forward to this. Please. Uh, Trenine Weber syndrome. Um, Talking about Clapel Trenai. I had in my head that was good. I was going to pronounce it so well. Yeah. Then yeah. Just then, uh, I just dropped the ball. Nothing oh, new. Live. Um, okay. And you can feel free to look that up. Uh, but those are the congenital factors. So it is. You know, there is a a uh, part of it that you can't control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other other risk factors are things like thrombus formation, formation uh, which Virchow's triad comes into that, which we'll talk about later. Um, the older you are, the more like you, likely you are to get it. Things such as diabetes and trauma. And trauma can be anywhere from trauma from a DVT, trauma from surgery, or trauma from a, think of like a acute trauma, right? Like a car accident or something like that. So all those mm-hmm. can leave you susceptible as risk factors. And the other high, the other really high uh, risk factor is the calf muscle pump failure that Taylor Ooh. was talking about. Um, so this is basically, basically what he means by this is that as the blood pools in the leg, a lot of the times the 
the body doesn't even use, it relies on the muscles uh, in the calf to pump, pump that fluid and that blood up into the heart. Especially if you think of like when you're exercising, right? Uh, if you were just sitting there exercising and everything's pulling in your legs, you're relying 100% on your heart to pump the fluid all the way down in your feet back up to your heart, right? I mean, that's a lot of work for the heart. But when you're up and walking around and moving, squatting, running, it's constantly, your calves are constantly pumping, constantly moving, which will then get the blood out. And so the occupational hazards that I was talking about earlier, um, you're looking at uh, jobs that you do prolonged standing, so you're looking at any form of, I mean, I would say a lot of construction. Construction, I guess you were, you you move back and forth a lot. I guess a lot of uh, uh, factory jobs is a good example because mm. we're not talking about a lot of jobs that you walk a lot at. We're talking about prolonged standing in one spot for yeah. long periods of time because you're not pumping that muscle. You're just, the muscle is standing there passively, uh, isometrically, mm-hmm. if you will, or passively, and it's not doing anything. And the other one is just overall decreased mobility in your job. So sitting, you know, office job, sitting at your t- at your chair for long periods of time. And this is where I was thinking of maybe this uh, affects more women because, I don't know, I guess originally uh, more women had office jobs originally maybe. And nowadays I would assume that would be, you know, a lot more equal. So I don't know if that would play as big of a factor, but I can't think of any other reason. Me neither. Okay. <laughs> so signs and symptoms. So what does it look like when you have venous insufficiency? So um, as Taylor kind of alluded with arterial, when it gets severe enough, you will have uh, wounds. But up until then, you'll have burning, swelling, throbbing, cramping feelings in the calves and the feet. You'll have aching, restless legs, uh, leg fatigue with uh, at rest and exercise. And then you can have varicose veins, which oddly enough, that's kind of a precursor to this because you're having um, you're having insufficiency in the veins uh, early on. And then two big things to really note with this. So with regards to venous insufficiency, the pain that you're feeling, so this aching, throbbing, cramping feeling in your legs, your calf and your feet, this pain will improve with walking and elevating your legs, which is drastically, which is the exact opposite of arterial mm-hmm. insufficiency. Uh, but you'll have in venous, it will improve with walking, elevating legs. It will improve with cold exposure and it will improve with uh, compression stockings. So if you want to say what makes the pain worse, it's literally the exact opposite. So warmth and lowering your legs in a dependent position, as Taylor alluded to. And you can literally just flip that for arterial for the most part. I mean, mm-hmm. walking hurts in arterial yep. insufficiency. Um, warmth uh, feels better in arterial insufficiency because it's going to increase blood flow and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that's basically how the, your pain onset comes. And if it gets to this most severe part where you start to have open wounds, they look – they're in almost a lot of the same places as an arterial insufficiency – because uh, it's below the knee. This time, though, it's more medial, as Taylor alluded to. Arterial is lateral. Venous is more medial uh, or on the inside of your leg. Um, and the biggest difference is that these wounds will have moderate to high drainage. So they're going to be very wet. You Think of like saturating the socks that you're wearing or the stockings, which is pretty grody, but it is what it is. Um, you'll get a glossy film over it because there's so much moisture and the wound bed will have, it's called beefy red granulation tissue. So basically the open 
the open uh, skin on the underside of your of your skin. I'm sorry. Uh, so the 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 wound bed itself will be like red, really red and really puffy. So it looks like it's like beef, ground beef essentially. Which mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot of you, I'm sure, don't that, want a picture. But <laughs> I, I would not uh, Google image this one. No, yeah, <clears throat> that one you would do not. Yeah, leave it to the imagination. <laughs> yep. And then uh, another good a couple things that always usually come with it is hemosiderin staining so basically your entire leg turns like purple or brown um looks almost like you got an amazing amazing tan in mm-hmm. just like your lower legs up to the knee um edema and then something called lipodermatosclerosis wow big word basically all that is is a hardening of the skin and hyperpigmentation of the skin so picture it looks like your skin basically got left on the grill too long, and it's like charred, and that's basically what it looks like. Mm. And so now that we know what arterial insufficiency feels like, looks like, what's happening, as well as venous insufficiency, um, now I'd like to get into some of the tests to, ident- to identify uh, these insufficiencies. Yeah. And I didn't prepare Taylor for this, and I'm just going to get a little pop quiz time in for old Taylor boy here. Oh, no. Because <laughs> <laughs> you use these daily, right, Taylor? Um, If by daily you mean never in my professional career, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these are usually very specific to uh, therapists who are practicing wound care. So I, for instance, have never done any of these. I have... Um, helped with identification of some of this. I've had some patients in the acute care setting that have some of these insufficiencies, and I've kind of had to read, interpret the results of these tests to identify where my patient was at and how far I can push them. Mm. But I, too, have never done these <laughs> tests. So it's going to be fun to watch Taylor try to figure it out. Oh, I'm going to be, I'm just going to be flopping. All right, well, we're going to start right. with an easy one, an easy test. It's called the capillary, capillary refill test. What Ooh. is that, Taylor? Oh, I know this one. Uh, so typically, uh, one second, our uh, dog's in the garbage. That's it. <laughs> so what's the capillary <laughs> refill test, Taylor? Uh, the capillary refill test, this is when you... Uh, so the way that's performed, you grab somebody... I imagine for this one, you would actually probably use toenails as opposed to fingernails, Correct. but normally it's, it's done with uh, fingernails, but you could do toenails. So you apply pressure and you hold that at the nail, nail bed. at the nail bed and you hold that pressure for a couple seconds. And then when you release, you just look to see how quickly the color comes back. Okay. Well, what's the <clears throat> normal range for that time, Taylor? Oh, is it uh, three seconds? Two seconds. Equal, oh. equal to or less than two seconds is quote okay. unquote normal. I was off by a second. Not too bad. Not bad at all. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. Better than me, honestly. Next is the ankle brachial index. So this is these two are. So the last one is pretty universal to a yeah. lot of acute cares. ABIs or ankle brachial index. These are also very popular, but they're very specific to insufficiencies. What's an ankle brachial index, Taylor? Well, um, breaking down uh, the words here, uh, ankle refers to your ankle. Brachial yep. refers to your arm. Yep. So uh, you take the blood pressure at the ankle. You take the blood pressure at the, uh, at, you know, normal the location. Everyone artery. gets it. Yep, the yep. brachial artery. And you uh, then uh, do a little ratio, and that gives you some information on, like, I guess, like, how well the legs are getting blood flow and how well the arms are getting blood flow. And so if it's vastly different, like the legs are uh, far less, 
that can give us an indication for disease and severity of disease. Absolutely. What's normal, Taylor? <laughs> One. <laughs> true, true, yes. true. Now, what's severe? Um, I forget which number goes on top. <laughs> ankle brachial. Think of it that way. Ankle. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, so the ankle. Um, less. Oh, is it like less than 0.4? Is that a... Uh, pretty good. Yeah, so 0.5. Less than 0.5, so it would be 0.4, is severe. Okay. Uh, so ischemic pain, like resting pain. So that's like, mm. that's really severe. And then less than that, I think 0.2 is ischemia of all tissue, like necrosis of tissue. Oh, it's shoot. It's 0.2. Okay. But, but 0.4 is in the severe category, mm. so you are technically correct. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Proud of you. Proud of you. Um, so there's also the, and some of these we're just going to kind of skim over because they're not readily used but the there is one called the rubor of dependency oh. test do you know what that test taylor yeah i i know about that test and i think there's two different versions of it um there's yeah uh, yeah so um for this one uh rubor uh that just refers to like i think like the color red and color is like the big thing with this one yes mm -hmm. um so you have a patient uh they're laying on their back and you elevate their legs and i forget the exact Ooh. angle 60 degrees 60 degrees you <laughs> elevate their legs and for how long well for one version of it i think actually for both versions it's a minute one minute correct yep, yep. Wow. i'm impressed you're getting I, these, I, I actually do my insect <laughs> pretty good i actually yeah, do yeah. it clearly yeah uh, um so yeah you hold it for a minute and one version of the test the patient is like pumping their ankles up and down and they do that for a minute and then you are looking to and this is done in people who have arterial insufficiency so for those people um, the ankle should probably turn pretty um, white, I imagine. Or, yeah, so the yeah. degree of whiteness is basically what you're looking at, yeah. Okay, and then there's the other version of the test where the patient just sits there and you just see how white it gets after a minute. Or... Yeah, so basically you lift it to 60 degrees, hold it. Well, mm -hmm. you observe the color, yeah. and then you lift it to 60 degrees per minute. Then you return it to normal, and you see how much the color changed, basically. Okay, or, or are you also looking at how how quickly color comes back once they sit up, or is that not part of it? No, that's not part. Of it. That's a different <laughs> test that we're going to get to next. Oh no! But uh, yeah, that's the color. Yeah, you're right. You yeah. were actually pretty pretty accurate on it. Yeah. I mean, in a clinical setting, it doesn't sound like you would have gotten it right, but nonetheless. <laughs> um, now we're moving on to the Trendelenburg test, which is the one you're thinking of. Do you remember what this one tests? Well, because um, you're right about the last <clears throat> one. Last one did arterial. Um, so the, I'm guessing this one is Venus. <laughs> That's a good guess. Venus. Yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. Uh, do you remember what, just a rough estimate of how the process goes on this one? Not even close. This one involves a blood pressure cuff or a, a tourniquet in general. Oh. More of a, I guess think tourniquet rather than cuff. But. You, you like put it on and then you like tip the people upside down or something? Kind of. So you, so you have the leg, they're laying supine, you have them lift the leg and pump their ankles. Then you put the tourniquet on and have them stand. Oh. This is the one where you see how how quickly uh, the veins like bulge. So you get to mm -hmm. see if there's a vein incompetence or not. Mm -hmm. And you do it. You can do it with a tourniquet on and without a tourniquet. And that basically tells you superficial superficial veins versus deep veins. Oh. And I'm not even going to ask you the time because it really doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things, but it's less than 20 seconds indicates uh, vein incompetence uh, with the tourniquet and 10 without the tourniquet. Oh, 
Okay. Fun facts. Fun facts. And then the other ones, I'm just they're called the venous refilling time test and the muscle pump ejection fraction tests. And then one thing that is good for everyone out there to know is that there is one gold standard test that people need to do, which is called the duplex ultrasonography. Mm. Um, so basically, that's usually if we're if this is suspected in patients, that's the number one thing. They don't do all these other tests. They usually just go to that in a clinical setting. They'll test you. They'll tell you if you do have it or not. And then those other tests we just went through and named, those are kind of for once you know, once we know you have it, the severity of it is what we would then be using those other tests for, basically. Could we also you be using those other tests to um, check progression with therapy and yeah. like medication yep. and stuff like that? Yep, yep. Oh, so that's cool. what. Uh, yeah. So for instance, when I, we use the ABI, the one time or the twice we I used it in clinical practice, it was we already knew they had these, uh, they had it, and we wanted to identify. We wanted um, basically objective measures to identify where they were and how our wound care interventions were helping or hurting if they were progressing the patient at all. So, yep, you're right. Mm -hmm. That's what we used it for. Yeah. Um, And so something with regards to integumentary in general and and specifically to uh, insufficiencies that's extremely important, I think I'm going to let Taylor Boy cover, is something that is a lot of people know about, but I don't know if they fully understand, and that's DVTs. Talk about that deep vein thrombosis? Yes, and I know we had referenced it yeah. uh, in the last episode, mm-hmm. total knee arthroplasty. Uh, yeah, we did. Because it is a high-risk factor of all surgeries, but um, can you cover it a little bit there, Taylor? Yeah, yeah, and so with the DVTs, this is more so on uh, an issue with the venous side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's a, pooling of the blood. Yeah, yeah, you get that uh, pooling of the blood, and if it just sits there, it kind of starts clotting together, and then you have a nice big old clot that starts forming. Is there a triad that explains kind of these mechanisms? There is. Uh, the guy's name is Virchow. Oh, Virchow like nice triad. Yeah. Um, I don't that know if he was be. nice, but he was pretty smart. He knew about this. He's stuff a smart guy, at the very least. Uh, yeah, and so there's like three different, uh, I guess, like physiologic mechanisms that kind of leads to this. Um, as we were already talking about that pooling of the blood, it's just hanging out. It's not going anywhere. Um, whenever you have that, you then have to start worrying about hypercoagulability. Um, meaning that these people, they just naturally clot, some people clot naturally a little bit more. Yeah. You combine that with the pooling and then also some endothelial trauma. Um, this is referring to the, literally the walls of the vessels. Um, if they are stiff or if they've actually had, you know, blunt force trauma, like, you know, uh, One of those injuries we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, if you have like all three of these, because suddenly, you know, the blood, it's not, doesn't have like a smooth path to go through. If it's really, really clotty, it's, um, and it's just hanging out there, you're likely, you're going to form a clot, mm-hmm. a blood clot. Absolutely. And the primary danger for this, it's not so much a danger like that you immediately have a clot. that you have a clot in the leg. It's what happens if the clot breaks free, um, because it's going to, go through the venous system, and it's going to end up in your lungs. Yeah. And uh, that is a medical emergency. Um, that can be a cause of death. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part why this is, like, such a big thing. Yeah, and... Uh, um. Oh, yeah. And uh, I guess, like, for identifying it, we have yeah. Wells... Uh, criteria. The criteria of Wells. Yeah, so I can cover that quick. Um. So 
as Taylor was saying, and as we alluded to in the last podcast, this is a huge thing with regards to all trauma. So when Taylor says endothelial trauma, I mean, surgery can be included in that. I mean, because yeah. you're pumping the person full of fluids, you might have blood loss. There's all sorts of things that happen, right? Mm-hmm. And so Wells criteria basically is just telling you, it's called the Wells clinical prediction rule for DVT. So basically we're just trying to assess risk of DVTs and just a couple examples here. Uh, so basically, it's all scored one point. So every time one of you you test positive for one of these, you just add one, and then you see after going through all these what your score is. Um, so some of these characteristics are active cancer, um, paralysis, paresis, or recent immobilization of the lower extremity, um, recently bedridden greater than three days, or Major surgery within 12 weeks requiring general or regional anesthetic, which basically, which every surgery basically dings on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, localized tenderness along the distribution of the deep venous system, entire leg swelling, calf swelling greater than three centimeters larger than asymptomatic side, pitting edema, collateral superficial veins, and then uh, alternative diagnosis, at least as likely as DVT, would be minus two because. It's basically showing that uh, there's another reason for these things that are happening, right? Mm-hmm. But the do you remember what the number is? The actual number? The actual number that <laughs> the, demonstrates <laughs> risk of DVT? Uh, e, uh, three. Yes, greater than three, but yes, yeah. three. Um, so basically what we're saying is if you were going through the Wells uh, criteria – and you had a score of greater than three after you went through all those, that means you're at high risk of acquiring of the DVT. And you, I mean, obviously you should be undergoing things after any surgery or any of these things uh, to prevent your risk of DVT, but especially if you pop positive on higher or a score greater than three. Does that sound yep. right? No, it sounds right to me. And uh, if you do, uh, you can probably be betting you're going to be on some type of blood thinner. You're probably anticoagulants. all anticoagulants and also some th- uh, thrombolytics. Uh, Thrombolytics. Things, things that uh, eat up thrombuses, uh, a.k.a. clots, yeah. a.k.a. DVT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So now that we've kind of gone over all this information, I know everyone's dying to hear it. Taylor, what do we do once we, now that we know we have arterial insufficiency, we know we have venous insufficiency, what do we do? How do we treat it? Oh, we have got ourselves a very short laundry list. Very. And I wouldn't even call it a laundry list. And I didn't list. even. And, and, and the most important thing that everyone goes to is pharmaceuticals, which I don't have on our list. Pharmaceuticals. I mean, that's not even that's, our wheelhouse. That That's yeah. the number one thing that works on a lot of this stuff. Yeah. I, I mean, you definitely need the medication to either A, uh, alleviate symptoms or B, try to correct some of the issue. But I mean, at the end of the day, lifestyle changes are going to be uh, need to be a huge part of this. And unfortunately for this population, um, yeah, it, it, that tends to kind of fall short a little bit. Yeah, I mean, think about the mm-hmm. list of risk factors, right? What do we say on everyone? Like smoking, diabetes, hypertension. Mm-hmm. Really, half of the treatment of all of this is just addressing these things. I mean, yeah. getting your diabetes under control, addressing your hypertension, that's half the battle, honestly. Literally half the battle. And... I, with the amount of education that is out there these days, m- most people recognize that oh, the, you know, this is an unhealthy lifestyle pattern. Um, mm-hmm. Getting uh, people willing to uh, correct those, or you know, care about function, care about movement, and also at the end of the day, uh, number of years you have on this planet. 
um, that can sometimes be surprisingly really hard to, uh, I don't know, bridge that gap. Yeah, a lot of people are kind of stuck in their ways, and I get it, especially if you make it to 99 or 89 or whatever oh, is yeah. quote-unquote old to you. Yeah. At that point, you're like, oh, why should I change it? I'm already here. You know? Yeah, uh, exactly. Uh, well, um, but, you know, in terms of other things, um, if we can get people into aerobic exercise or especially like a graded walking program, um, this is included for the arterial people who have pain with walking. Um the people, um, for them, you know, it's more about, okay, walk until, uh, you have, start having like, uh, you know, some mild pain. Take Intermittent claudication, if you will. Intermittent claudication. Um, you know, walk for a little bit until you have pain, take a break, walk again, take a break. Yeah, it's and, that simple. Yeah, and literally uh, just keep on trying to progress yourself. And what is remarkable is that this does get better time. You know, the amount of time people can go before they start having pain, it does increase, but it takes consistency. It takes work and uh, that, that can be tough. That can be tough. Yeah, and my understanding, it's basically because you're demanding blood flow to the tissue, right? But you're mm. not stressing it to the point of ischemia. So exactly. basically you're reminding the body that we do need blood flow here. We do need mm -hmm. uh, increased arterial. We do need red blood cells, whatever, as much nutrients yeah. to these areas. Yeah. And the body kind of responds. Yeah. And uh, just trying to tell the body, hey, there's still a job to be done here. Um, and your body will then divert resources to try and build that system up. Because um, yeah. at the end of the day, you know, if you don't use it, uh, you lose it. It's because your brain is just really concerned about starving to death still. Yeah. Yeah. And mm -hmm. this obviously applies to your arterial insufficiencies. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Venus, what do you do? Uh, for Venus, you're really going to be wanting to have on some compression garments. That actually tends to be a very helpful thing. Do not do this for arterial. No. Do, do not, not. Do not. Do not. If you haven't noticed, if you haven't been paying really much attention to anything, uh, pay attention to this because everything is basically opposite. Venus, Venus, you want to compress, and you do not. The last thing you want to do is compress arterial. Give more pressure for that artery to work against. <laughs> goodness. Yeah, yeah. Do do not do that. And I, I think uh, we also say that heavily because out of most of the things we talk about, people can't really go home and hurt themselves too much. You can hurt yourself this if one, you have you can lose a leg. Yeah, yeah. So do not. Um and then uh, also uh, for the Venus people, surgery actually tends to be a pretty helpful thing. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Because there's two different, I mean, obviously two different procedures or a procedure for each. Yeah. Right. And to, if you're getting to that point where it's so severe, I've, I, th I, this is what I've seen a lot in the, uh, in my acute care side of things. I've seen these surgeries after the fact. Um, yeah. And especially I, I've seen the revascularization surgery more. I feel like that's more common just from what i've seen i guess because a lot of people i see are smokers and all that stuff mm. um but yeah the revascular i see re revascularization surgery yeah we're speaking so well today i want to <laughs> we are out crushing there. it killing it man um it's honestly it works great uh everyone i've seen it with it after i mean it's kind of a rough process because they are literally rerouting blood flow to the leg and adding new arteries and stuff and it's kind of a it's pretty big ordeal but usually works pretty well they usually have great yeah. outcomes that, it, I mean, usually immediately after they're like, oh, it just feels better. Because at this yeah. point, don't forget, they're really severe. Like they're, yeah. and if it progresses any further, they're going to be losing a leg. Amputation is the next thing on the table. So this is like last case scenario before amputation. And mm -hmm. usually it's either, I mean, usually people are like, wow, it feels immediately no pain. Because mm -hmm. these are people that have resting pain 24-7 in their legs. 
Yeah. So for them to have any blood to show up in that area, they're like, wow, wow. this is great. Phenomenal. <laughs> Phenomenal. <laughs> I, I guess, I guess like my question is, and maybe this is, um, I don't know, this is dependent on like region or even country. Um, I wonder why uh, wait until extreme severe severity of the disease process and not, I don't know, do something lighter earlier. Um, well, a lot of it is to do with, well, A, failures in the American healthcare model, right? Where oh. we aren't preventative, we are reactive. Yeah. Oh, we provide true. reactive care instead of proactive care. But even in some cases, I've seen it where we try to provide proactive care, right? Whether it's in an outpatient setting, mm-hmm. whether it's in a home healthcare setting, and the patients just don't care to change. They don't care to mm-hmm. stop smoking. They don't care to uh, address their diabetes, their, their, eat healthier, the, the lifestyle act. choices. Yes. They don't want to change those lifestyle choices. So even, it doesn't matter what, sometimes it doesn't even matter what medication, especially in these, a lot of medication, we're just trying to control those precipitating factors, right? The, mm-hmm. the hypertensions and stuff like that. And a lot of times people are fighting that, <sighs> let alone this, that is like a, a, a cause of all of this, you know, culminating. I, I, I see what you're saying. Um, and kind of like alluding to as well is that if people have got, he, got to this state because of, you know, severe lifestyle choices, rock st- living like a rock, rock star, star yeah. you know, um, or lack of rock star or yeah. Lack <laughs> Just of rock sitting. Star. Yeah. Um, if they got here because of these choices and they have done nothing, there's no indication that they will make the changes. Why do a surgery? Because they will get back to that same place again. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, even if you did the surgery, yeah, early on, it'll mm-hmm. just be, yeah, it'll lead you in the same spot. And once you do it once, from my understanding, you can't really do a bunch of revascularization surgeries mm-hmm. because once you cut it open once, that tissue, if it doesn't take, it's not going to heal. Oh. So now you have these open wounds on top of the already open wounds with no ability to heal, high infection risk. So that's why this is kind of a last case scenario. I mean, imagine cutting open a leg that has no blood flow. I was, I was about to say, so you're talking about uh, cutting open the leg and trying to make it heal without blood? Exactly. Literally, yeah. yeah okay. That's why this yeah. is last case scenario. I mean, yeah. this is like, the it's already open wounds. It's already risk, high risk, if not already infected. Mm. So most of the time what happens is there's already a severe infection. There's already necrotic tissue or dead tissue on the leg. Mm. They have to go in and cut out the infection, cut out the necrosis anyways, so whatever's left that's on that foot, a lot of times it's like a partial foot amputation. I've seen it yeah. where it's like big toe and second toe. Mm-hmm. And then they have to take it down to like the first med or something like that. And then the rest of the foot's in terrible shape. So while they're in there, they'll just do some revascularization and hope that it sticks because it's already open at that point, right? Like they're already yeah. in there cutting and sawing just, and just. hacking. So they might as well just try to add some blood flow while they're in there and pray it sticks. <sighs> And I've seen a lot of places, like, yeah. they'll add some, you know, they'll give you some other stuff like, like, oh, let's put heat on it to increase, you know, stuff like that. But it's mm, just... Hyperbaric. Uh, all whatnot. sorts of stuff, yeah. I mean, yeah. That, that's kind of last case scenario, so it depends on your resources, but... Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's, that's the case that I've seen. It's already bad, so they're like, let's just pray we keep it from getting worse. <laughs> Well, Troy, you're smart. I learned something today. Smart boy. Smart boy. Smart boy. And like I said, I haven't seen it very often, but mm-hmm. I've seen it a handful of times, and it um, none of them were good. None of them were good. Yikes. And I've never seen a venoblation for venous insufficiency, so I have no idea about that one. Um, 
Well, shoot, my grandmother actually had that uh, surgery <laughs> okay. like decades ago. I was a kid. I didn't really Grandmother flocking? Uh, grandmother Ford. Grandmother Henry Ford flocking. <laughs> Her first name was Henry, correct. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she drove a car. A Ford. A Ford. <laughs> I yeah. believe that. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you want to add, Taylor Boy? I think uh, I'm happy yeah. as a fly-on crap. Um, I am uh, pretty happy. Uh, we uh, we uh, we started off. We came in hot. I want to throw that. We out came there. in we, hot, Chuck. Yeah, yeah. We came in hot. And but we, we ended hotter. I would say so. I, I, no, I've cooled off. I, I'm lying. <laughs> <laughs> You're a liar. You're a chronic liar. Yeah. Um, um. Always. Always keep the blood pumping. Actual, actual PT, PT Nation. Nation. <laughs> actual. Kind of applied, Chuck. <laughs> hey, look at that. <laughs>